Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Potshot Pod. It is me, Alex Collings, as your host for today. And I'm joined by three people much smarter than I am in Seb, Manus and Lorcan. Welcome, guys. We're going to get started off, off with a potshot question. I've decided to go away from football, but also maybe not too funky yet. I think I'm going to go that direction as the season unfolds. But we'll start off with a nice, simple one for today. And that is, what album are you guys listening to at the moment? Uh, I'm going to start off with you, Seb. I'm good, I'm good. Um, considering we're going into August now, I've been listening to Folklore by Taylor Swift again. Great album. Okay, okay. I didn't have you as a, a Taylor Swift fan. <laughs> All right, and Manus? I've been listening to this new... It's not an album, it's a playlist I found on Spotify called Stutter House. They use it in the gym, basically. Yeah, I, I do not frequent the gym. Um, so I've been listening to um, Beautiful Brutal Yard, J House's new album. Okay, okay. I won't lie, I set this question up as an excuse to run some prop for Sundial by No Name. It's her new album. I've been waiting like five years for her to drop. So, And it's every bit as good as I was hoping it would be. So I'm, I'm quite happy. Um, and that dropped, what, on the 11th of August, so two days ago at time of recording, same day as the Premier League, which I think we should probably get into. Um, our Premier League journey for the season started yesterday with a 2-1 home win over Nottingham Forest. Eddie opened the scoring after a sublime bit of skill from Gabriel, not a Brazilian Martinelli, before Saka did what Saka does with a cold long shot, finding the back of the net, becoming more and more inevitable every time we watch him. Um, besides that, I don't think it was the most free-flowing game. There was a nice 15 to 20 minutes, I thought, in the first half. But overall, it seemed a bit of a stodgy affair where things didn't quite click. Having said that, there are some curious insights into how the season might unfold that I think we can already take from that game. Um, there were a number of changes. Well, not too many, but it changed the complexion of the side a lot. If we're going from last week's performance versus City, two big changes the standout one being Gabriel being dropped for tactical reasons. And that's after 38 games and 38 starts last season. Uh, Lorcan, we both predicted Gabriel to be left out of the side for tactical reasons, at, at least at some point in the season in our predictions um, episode a couple episodes back. Um, but to me, it was still a surprise to see it literally happen on the first league game of the season. Um, what do you make of this decision and uh, the tactical implications of it? Yeah, um, I was surprised too, um, which I tried to play off a little bit at home because I picked um, Saliba over Gabriel in <laughs> fancy Premier League. So it was a bit of a, I told you so, um, especially to my brother. But yeah, no, I was surprised. Um, obviously, uh, on the surface of things, it was Nketiah coming in for Gabriel from the team sheet last week. Um, so I think in that vein, there was consideration of the opposition um, using another attacker rather than just a simply, you know, like for like. Um, I think we still wanted that transition control and therefore wanted to pair um, Rice with Partey and uh, and have Partey invert from right back. And then because you have an inverting right back, obviously that means that your nominal left centre back is the central most player out of possession. And as we've touched on in this podcast, um, that's not really Gabrielle's strengths and, and the responsibilities, responsibilities that come with that, like sweeping and stuff and manipulating angles in the first line. 
so yeah, I think it was, I, I'm just, you know, might be wrong, but I thought um, it was to get Gabriel away from that. Um, and obviously, if, if you wanted him as the left centre-back in possession, he would have had to start at left-back. And I don't think he offers you the same um, fluidity there as Timber does in build-up. Yeah, I think it was certainly interesting. It makes sense to me. It keeps um, Saliba as the central centre-back, which I think is necessary. Um, but it was interesting to see Timber not only favoured over Gabriel there, which I think makes sense. Uh, I don't see Gabriel as a left-back, but also favoured over Kivio, who is a left-footer. And I think this is the first time ever in Arteta's reign that we've had four right-footers across the back line. Um, yeah, Seb, what do you make of Arteta deciding to start Timber again? Of course, seems to like him there at left-back rather than just getting minutes. What do you uh, make of him starting him there over Kivio? I think we have to judge it by uh, game by game and what the game requires. Um, you're losing an aggressive ball winner and probably our best pure defender as well as our best aerial presence in Gabriel by dropping him. Uh, and I think you compensate somewhat for that if you put in Timber, who's a more punchy defender, able to sweep out more and control transitions that way rather than Kivio. Um, I think that's the main consideration uh, for this game specifically, just to have a more punchy, more sort of defense-minded while still being a sort of better build-up player than Gabriel is there uh, on that left side to keep those three in positions they find themselves comfortable in. Yeah, you spoke about um, the fact that we lose Gabriel's height and aerial dominance, and I still think he is the most aerially dominant player I think we have at the club probably. Um, and it's an interesting thing. I think it's probably what we're going to get through as we move through this episode. But something I'm seeing more and more is Arteta trying to make up things in the aggregate, you know, adding guys like Havertz and Rice, still giving us that superiority um, from set pieces. But yeah, maybe we should move a bit forward. Um, the other the other change that we saw, of course, is Eddie up front, who was the guy who swapped in for Gabriel, which led to a whole lot of other shifts in the side, right? Gabriel moving out, Saliba moved to left centre back. White moved to right centre-back. Partey became the nominal right-back. But also then, you know, with Eddie coming in, Havertz went from striker versus City to playing that left-eight midfield position um, versus Forrest. Rice moved more to the six, at least nominally so. And of course, yeah, Partey moved from DM to right-back. So we can see how all of that works. Manus, what did you make of Eddie's performance and how did it change the dynamics of our attack? So I did feel that Eddie would start the game and we said so on the last podcast as well. And we also discussed that Forrest would go five at the back, which they did. So ideally, I felt that bringing in Eddie and leaving Gabriel out is was the was under the same, same thought process of that Forrest would not challenge us in the build. So we'd be able to progress the ball down the sides relatively easily. And that's essentially what happened, I think. Um, while also removing Gabriel uh, and having Saliba as the centre-back and White as the right centre-back, they still played in sort of the same zones that they're used to, uh, largely when they play. So I feel it allowed us to have six in the front line or uh, when we were attacking in the second phase, we were like a 3-1-3-3. Or a three diamond three, if you like, you want to look at it that way. But I think Eddie was a good choice, and Mikhail spoke about this after the game, and I really liked uh, that quote from him. Where I think Eddie 
went to him and said, you know, why didn't I start the Community Shield? You know, it's a final. Why didn't I play? Why did you start Howards? Uh, he, Isn't it actually that he said, well, the way Arteta framed it is more that this is why I should start the next game, not so much because yeah. I think Arteta made the point of saying most players will ask, well, why didn't I start? But Eddie was giving him reasons why he should be yeah. factored in going forward. Yeah, and I, I, I like that. I like that's the right attitude. Uh, and I felt like Eddie suited this game as well because he would pin the last line much better than Havertz, who's like better at operating in the spaces between the lines. So I think I think it worked out, but I think we will get into it uh, in a bit as well. Because but there were rotations as well, so you know Havertz would find himself as as the number nine at some certain points in the game. But I think it worked well. I think Eddie deserved to start this game. I'm going to stick with you, Manus, because as we move down, what did you make of Havertz's performance? Because, of course, now he's playing the midfield role that you've quite determined that he will be playing this season after what I thought was quite an encouraging display up front for, versus City um, the previous week. So what did you think of his his role on Saturday? Uh, I think he did a lot better off the ball than on the ball. On the ball, I feel he's still a little slow in his decision-making, in his receiving, turning, passing, or, you know, driving with the ball as well. Because he was one-on-one at one point, but he just couldn't bring the ball under control. Uh, and then there, were other, there was another point in the game where he could have driven with the ball. And just, just to confirm it for myself, after watching the game, I went back and watched a couple of uh, comps on YouTube from his Leverkusen time, and he was really fast on the ball. So he can dribble, he can get it out of his feet. But it looked like he's still slightly underconfident forming actions on the ball right now. But his off-the-ball game seriously impressed me, which I didn't notice on the first viewing. But I didn't notice when we watched it back together. Uh, Just hitting the spaces where your left center mid and your right center mid vacate. Uh, Just dropping intelligently into the spaces to play a wall pass centrally or rotating with Eddie, going to the left wing, letting Martinelli come in. I think all of those small things, those rotations, those movements really impressed me. I think he'll come good. Just I think he just needs a little bit more confidence. And I think naturally we're going to move to Lorcan because this has been what we've started off as some sort of oppositional thing between the two of you since coming on the pod. But Lorcan, what did you make of, of Havertz's performance? Yeah, it's funny we talked about him being the left eight because he was more so at the tip of the diamond than in sort of the the usual left eight zones that we talk about. Um, I agree with Manus in that he was he was good out of possession. Um, there were obviously very limited instances where that was the case because we had almost eighty percent possession. I think um, I don't. I still don't really like him there. Um, I prefer him with a more constricted role, as it were. Um, so I do like him at the at the tip of the diamond, but I don't think the the dynamic with Eddie looked particularly threatening. Um, I don't think either of them really stretched the back line at the right times. Um, and that'll have to do with just, you know, like forging a connection, um, a lack of familiarity and that. So that's that's normal. I think, yeah, I mean, we'll get into how um, often the eights pushed quite wide to receive outside of the opposition block and, and have it sometimes dropped into that area. Um, so I don't think he looked particularly threatening when doing that. Like he looked kind of functional, um, but a lot of that's kind of got nothing to do with him, um, and it's got to do with the dynamics as well. Um, I thought it was okay. There was that one thing going around on Twitter where someone was pointing out the fact that 
in Eddie's goal, he'd missed a chance to pass to Havertz, which I think is a bit stupid, but it did highlight the fact yeah. that Havertz was getting into those positions. Um, there was also that chance in the third or fourth minute um, from the cutback via the Saka cross. And Havertz was somewhere in that area. Um, so I do think he's getting into threatening positions, um, even if we're not really crashing the box as well as we did last season. Um, I still don't pen him down as a midfielder. And I think the fact that we've used a diamond to get him at the tip of it is quite revealing. But yeah, I thought he was okay. Uh, Seb, do you have anything to add? Not really, no. I massively agree with Manus that you can still sense him not quite being who he normally is, just confidence-wise. You just Not only the speed of thought with which he executes his actions, but also sharpness-wise. There's a lot of layoff passes where he just drags the ball wide instead of actually hitting the ball and really passing like a pass should be. Um, but I still think a lot of this is just something that will be ironed out in time. Let's put it that way. Yeah, there was one thing I forgot just on that note and the note that Manas, um, the comment that Manas um, originally made. I didn't follow Havertz in his Leverkusen days and I don't really tend to watch um, the Bundesliga unless I'm scouting someone in particular. It's a good decision. But I think that, yeah, yeah, I really don't enjoy doing it. Um, <laughs> but um, I think that because I've seen some things go around and obviously I haven't like completely fact-checked this or anything, but Havertz is like pushing six four six five um for us and apparently was only six foot one in his Leverkusen days, um, which, I mean, it, it, it does look like slightly of a bit of a biomechanical issue to me at least um, insofar as he's imperfect receiving and getting it outside his feet he doesn't look fully comfortable in his body there was an instance I think early in the second half um, where he's carrying with the ball and doesn't quite uh, let it go to Martinelli correctly because his like third touch with his right foot is still he's still trapped under his feet so I yeah I'm not so sure that part can be ironed out from his game yeah, I have to say, um, from everything I've watched of him at Chelsea, I've always had the impression that he's really bad in those sort of like dribbling or getting past people situations. Um, and I think even Manus, you can probably correct, but he had pretty, he has pretty bad dribbling, both quantity and quality um, stats, does he not? I think from his time at Chelsea, obviously in a slightly different role from what he's playing now, but it, it does kind of make sense to me. I, I hadn't really considered that height change and that does make some degree of sense with that said i think he had quite an impressive performance definitely off ball i know we all agreed on that but i think whether it's a midfield or an attacking role again i've said this before doesn't really matter i think it ultimately is a replacement for Jacques, which was what the discussion started off as and, he, and in that sense he does feel an evolution on that role and i think i agree kind of moving changing from that box into the diamond as we get there makes the most use of him especially as i think he's really good in terms of finding space on on either side right um but yeah i think it's still kind of largely a midfield role and also i think in the small examples we've had or small sample size we've had so far i think he was pretty impressive against the ball um particularly in transition moments he cut across quite well i think even yeah regained possession once or twice and played it back in so so there's some encouraging um signs that I didn't really see 
when I watched the first time either. I think we all kind of saw that this morning, particularly some of his movements out to the left, because I remember there was um, a lot of discussion about our left high-hand side just not functioning. And I think it wasn't quite as fluid and I think um, dynamic as our right-hand side, but there were there were some really nice moments that I don't think were just Martinelli qualitatively like creating something out of nothing. There were some nice combinations, particularly involving habits. Just to uh, add a small point, uh, he completed around 90% of his passes. And when we were watching, like when I was watching the game with you guys, he didn't feel more involved in the game. But like just looking at his passing stats now, he completed 90% passes. So it's sort of relative to the position that he's just in sort of like the tip of the diamond and then going rotating to either side, left side or right side, uh, depending on where the ball is, he still was able to, you know, keep possession, at least keep the ball ticking. And uh, just to speak to the biomechanics issue that Lawton was talking about. Uh, so if that issue cannot be fixed, so because he's grown, and if his dribbling cannot hit the same levels that he had at Leverkusen, I think it's an interesting theme to follow with Havertz this season um, in terms of like where our data can correctly profile him or not. So if he can't do that, how can we use his frame better? So probably play him ahead of the ball, have, have him be a nuisance to defenders and then play off of him sort of right. So maybe. And he won eight duels as well. So it's like a centre forward. <laughs> a never-ending quest to turn Harvard's into a target man. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move forward. Um, and so actually how the game unfolded tactically. I think we've already covered in broad strokes a lot of it. But I think one of the things we definitely saw was, and this goes back to the midfield reconstruction part, which at the time, I remember I was designing in one way, then we signed Havertz, and then I was completely thrown into spin. And we kind of, in the pod, kind of figured out that we think it was going to be something of a box midfield changing into a diamond particularly to help um the likes of rice make use of him his ability to get forward and then also make use of Havertz's interpretation of space um yeah how much do we think that proved true in the game today uh not today in the game on saturday Lorcan? and yeah what did you make of of these tactics i think there, so structurally, I think there are some elements of because it's the like known as the Croyfian diamond or whatever the three the three diamond three, um, where there's more potential, there's more triangles as it were, there's more potentials for player relationships on the pitch, but which does mean that there has to be like a kind of a, a good understanding, um, like one of the things with the just like I'm talking in tactical theory now, but one of the things with the three diamond. Three is if you make a three-two build up, one of the center mids has to drop, so the other one's gonna form up and you begin to look like a box again situationally. So anyway, just on that note, I think there is a lack of familiarity, which is normal. There's three new faces in the team. It's also a completely new um tactical setup. And then also in terms of like profiles, I think there's a there's a wider theme as well amongst the elite teams. We saw a bit with City. Um that there's you you sort of want to create affordances that your rest defensive unit is solid. Um, so we, for example, saw Rice play as the kind of eight in possession um, because he can cover so much ground um, that 
our rest defensive unit, which was a 3-1 with Partey. Rice can make up that ground and essentially be the extra body. As such, though, I thought in attacking phases, the profiles weren't great. Um, so, yeah, I think that's sort of like a quid pro quo, quid pro quo there. And Seb, um, I think one of the key, at least to me, uh, I spoke about it just now, but I think Rice and, and Havertz are obviously a big part of why we're, we're using the shape in the, in the first place. I mean, even thinking of Rice's underlapping runs, connecting with, with the man out wide. Um, yeah, it just reminds me of a lot of what we were doing in preseason seems to be priming for this role. Um, what did you make of Rice's performance and, and the diamond overall? I liked Rice's game. I thought he was sort of, he didn't necessarily show his best on the ball, but he is just a defensive machine um, in human form, which is nice to have. Um, I'm not necessarily sure I agree that the diamond is something we're looking to do full time yet. I still think this was a sort of one game tactical adjustment to deal with uh, Forrest's deep block. Uh, And in that it made sense to overload their back five with a sixth man uh, and do it differently than we did last season where we had wide push-up. Um, interestingly enough, I thought we looked in periods, we did see Rice drop more and it became sort of our standard three-two-five 2 uh, shape in possession. And you just immediately see that the spacing is just a lot more clear for the players. One, just in general, uh, six men in the last line is tends to get a bit muddy uh, with just general shape and uh, positioning. Um, so I still think there is room to see um, our old shape or evolutions on our old shape, as well as a sort of more aggressive diamond or even a flat four, as we've seen in the Community Shield over large periods, uh, just different variations depending on what we're facing. One of the things I'm, I'm thinking, though, is what we did see, obviously, when, when Rice dropped, I agree, it was a bit more clear, stable in a sense, but there was still that lack of central penetration. And that's why I think the diamond allows for you to have carriers to break the block rather than rather than pass through it, which is something that we struggled to do. I think we accessed wide areas a lot, um, but not really that much through the middle beyond the occasional carry. So do you, how do you think, how do you kind of see us if we don't really move to the, to the diamond, um, not more permanently, but I think more frequently, I would say, because I, I think a general theme is we don't really know what we're doing every week yet, at least not yet, right? But how, how do you guys think we'll be able to solve for that? if we don't use carries, yeah. Uh, I still think some of it is just down to early season rust. I think once we're in our flow and the rotations start to happen a bit more clearly, we can still create chances and create penetration through dynamic uh, rotations. It's just one thing that is sort of the case is that we don't have an outstanding chance creator uh, in the center at least. Um, So a lot of our chance creation is simply down to rotations and uh, creating dynamism uh, to get chances that way. Um, And that can't be solved until we have someone uh, different. But uh, yeah, I think familiarity will play a big part in us looking better uh, once we sort of gain a more stable system and stable just stability 
with each other's stability with the system, etc. Let's say Zinchenko comes back in. Do you guys think that this immediately changes yeah. the complexion? Like, would have a lot more central occupation, yeah. I guess. One hundred percent. And then play through the middle. Okay, okay. The other thing I wanted to ask is, I, I mean, I think Rice was very impressive. I think it was even maybe we were over. We had more in terms of rest defense of cover that we needed. Potentially, you could argue compared to well, you can never have too much, right? But when you compare that to maybe what I felt like was a stodgy sort of attack that didn't really com- combine well together, do you not think that there's some sort of balance that we're maybe missing at the moment? I- I'm going to go to you, Manas, particularly in terms of how we're using rice. I feel the current use of rice is not the future use of rice. And like we've already, you know, we've talked about this a lot. But I think uh, listening to him, his post-match comments that, in the last four months, uh, in the last month, he's he's had to absorb so many instructions, so many new thoughts. So it's sort of like a bombardment. And add, on top of that, he's also playing Premier League football. So I think the idea is to ease him in, give him less responsibility on the ball and confine him to the left side zones. Right? But once he does get comfortable we can experiment and we can drop one of the pivots to then add another attacker. And in terms, like, I think you you, you mentioned rest defense as well. Uh, in the game, during the game, I said that this formation, the 3-1 in build-up, is risky even if you're playing somebody like Forrest who did have the intention of transitioning, but they didn't really win the ball that much. And there was an instance in the first half where Saliba is so, so deep and he gets robbed. And the ball falls to Johnson, I think was the striker's name. And he runs through, right? And White covers up. The, that risk will always exist if you play with a 3-1. It will always be there. It doesn't matter. You can play Superman in midfield or in defense. <laughs> you will get hit on the counter. You will concede chances and it's something I think we have to live with and trust our defensive players to deal with it. Yeah, it's interesting on that note because obviously we were linked to Caicedo um, and have been linked to, well, I mean, that's not happening now, he's going to Chelsea, but we were linked to him in at the beginning of the summer and almost signed him in January. But there were, and I think we would have used a three-man midfield at times with um, with Caicedo Rice and one more, probably Odegaard. But there were um, rumours that Arteta liked the idea of using him the way we've used Partey recently. Um, so I completely agree with Manas in that that risk is always there for the 3-1. And I think we might even talk about how Partey, um, Partey's you know, athletic decline and the risk that comes with covering that much space laterally as the lone pivot in, in rest defence. But it does put into perspective maybe... Um, what we had in plan for Caicedo, who can, who is that bit more springy um, in the first step, in the first five, 10 yards, and also who can probably cover ground better than Partey as well. I want to go back to you, Manas, and you spoke about the fluidity and rotations earlier. What were some of the rotations we were seeing and um, how did you kind of, what did you make of them? I think we saw rotations basically everywhere. I think the two majorly fixed positions on the field were uh, Saliba and Enketia and even Enketia did rotate with Havertz a little bit to come deeper into the half spaces 
So we saw rotations with when Timber was playing. So Timber, Martinelli, Havertz, that small triangle on the left and with Rice as well. And then on the right with Odegaard, Party, um, Saka. And during the game, you can tell that which ones were better because the right side has been playing together for about a season now. So they've played good 50-60 games together. And you could just tell, like, they, they know the triggers, when to go, when not to go. And there was an instance where Odegaard overlapped to Saka and then the ball comes back out. And then White overlaps Odegaard on the right and White puts an excellent ball on the penalty spot, but there's nobody there. And that's, like, that's where you want Havers arriving, maybe, perhaps. But he was at the far post. I think rotations were much better on the right than on the left. But in build-up, as well, we saw at times uh, Rice falling into the center spot or Party going right back to push right, White slightly ahead. So I think all of these were there. Um, and again, like we spoke about Havertz's off-the-ball performance and that's sort of tied in with the rotations that if the ball was, which, whichever side the ball was being played on, he would hit wherever the space was. Like he would move into the space, perhaps like let's say, if Rice drops to receive, he would then run into the space if the centre-back follows Rice. I think the rotations were pretty good and that was probably one of the tactics that Arteta thought might unlock the Forest defence because, because they were so their defensive block was so narrow and so tight. How do you access except either like doing it through rotations and uh, perhaps 1v1s? If you can manufacture those, and that's what we actually ended up doing. Yeah, agreed. I think I think um, that definitely showed through on the rewatch, like just the the number of rotations we had and how fluid we actually were. And it's it's an interesting, um, you know, in terms of watching execution wise, I think we still lack that fluidity of last season. But maybe from a more um, tactical sense, in terms of where players were moving. I can certainly see how when these things piece together, we will become a lot more dangerous. I mean, some of the ways in which we suddenly saw White moving from centre-back up onto the right wing. We saw we saw Saka coming onto the left. We saw Havertz picking up really nice positions on the right with Odegaard dropping a little bit deeper. Obviously, the 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 Rice and um, Partey dynamics about who is moving inside and outside at different times makes us really hard, at least in theory, once these things happen more fluidly. And when the players know, I think still you get that sense that especially the players will receive and then need to think what happens next. Whereas last season, it felt almost like second nature. They get the ball, they play forward. And I think even losing guys like Gabriel Jesus and Zinchenko, who obviously were very used to the city system coming in, but also very confident in their next actions, maybe added to that. Um, Do you guys have any other ideas why, despite getting lots of access in good positions, particularly in the wider areas for the cutbacks, and whatnot, why we still didn't really convert these into clear-cut chances? Um, is it something to do with the system, the personnel, or just the lack of familiarity? I think it's sometimes, like this time, it's not about Arsenal. I think it's about Forrest as well. Like They defended the box like it, their lives depended on it. Like Five defenders at the back, and then 5-2-3. Two, the two in front of the five then collapse. So it's essentially seven, eight guys in the last line. And like you can't really go through them. So you have to go and go to the size, like we said, and create cutbacks, which we did. Uh, and then it's really hard to create chances against this sort of defensive side. 
sides but we did still manage to get around 20 odd shots um and a significant number of them were in the box as opposed to like they had like five or six shots although they did have more xg than us but still i mean it's it's hard to penetrate the sort of extremely hard deep deep blocks and that's why also like you like i mentioned you use rotations to get your players behind the line to get them receiving behind the line right because there is no space in front of the block to even dribble with the ball and we don't have those perhaps maybe capable jesus uh who can beat two or three people with like his turns shoulder drops and whatever but you know it's hard so sometimes it's not about arsenal i think yeah i i agree with that in terms of not executing and and not delivering on the um the cutbacks and some of the chances that we did get i think a lot of that has to do with what we were doing beforehand so sometimes we saw um players kind of second guessing their movement not really knowing what to do to try and generate some sort of superiority um so when the ball is worked wide and crossed i think one of the the we did see the same theme as as last year in terms of box occupation we had a lot of people in the box but one of our strengths last year was also box like arrival um in terms of odegaard and shaka particularly when enough gravity was generated like at the front post there was scope for a cutback and players to meet that ball in their stride and there was less of that just because i think again i've only watched it once so I, i with a pinch of salt but i think there was less of that and then also just i think we did get into some useful positions out wide but i don't think we got into too many useful positions in and around zone 14 um and i think because of the profiles of our interiors and and this was the same last year we kind of rely on the ball arriving dynamically in that in that sort of zone um and that was particularly hard as as mana said because of the way that forest set up in a very compact 523 trying to limit um central progression um and also i i think one of the ways you could get around that is is being able to get the wingers be able to stagger movement so to get the wingers into those central areas um so you can do that by like staggering odegaard's movement with saka for example which we saw a couple times but not enough that i'd like um we could or the narrowing run where the fullback passes to a winger stepping in we didn't see much of that just because of how compact forest were um and then also like an overlap from deep and i think that was that was quite hard to do because i mean party didn't do it too much white did it a few times but even that that's arriving from right center back so they're naturally going to be less frequent than um arriving from full back so yeah i i would like to see the wingers getting into more central areas we saw it with, <laughs> we saw once and saka scored from it and that was you know from outside the box but it's where they are both really dangerous um so yeah i do get the sense it's something that we have been moving towards or arteta's trying to figure out a way to achieve since last season i think we can even look back wolves and forest we saw Saka almost playing as a center forward at times. Am I right in saying last season's Forest game I think I might be wrong, but definitely Wolves if, if I remember correctly. Um the one thing just to just to touch on um Lorcan because I I think we all know your sort of take on the interiors not being able to receive statically but yeah since you've just joined the pod just for the listenership do you want to expand on that idea? Yeah, I think it doesn't really get talked about that much but um I'm going to do the 
faux pas and compare us to City again. But City have two wingers who stand very wide and pin horizontally. And they have, or last year they had two, you know, high eights who could stay there between the lines. Um, and that depends on your ability to pin um, in, you know, various parts of play. And we can't really do that because um, Shaka last season and Odegaard, and again, Rice was kind of in that left eight role slash zones um, on Saturday, can't really generate the same qualitative superiority in the half space. Um, Odegaard, for me, it's because of his... I mean, he can get pushed off the ball very easily. Um, and also that angle bias. So I think we need to... And this was the same last season. There's an emphasis on getting into those zones, zone 14, very dynamically. Um, and it's one of our strengths. And, and that's part of, you know, the narrowing run by from the from the winger and um, carrying with their strong foot into sort of zone 14, which is, yeah, sorry, just around, like in and around the box on the outside of the box. The most like dangerous zone for, for chances. Um, yeah, so that was particularly difficult yesterday because of the way Forrest set up. And also because I think, again, because of the lack of qualitative superiority, we can cause in those half spaces, both eights being Wrights and Odegaard had to step outside of the opposition block um, to face play. Cool, cool, cool. And uh, Seb, just to go to you, do you think there were any other sort of um, reasons why we struggled yesterday? Again, yeah, it is yesterday. Reasons why we struggled on Saturday, let me say, for the listeners out there. That's better. Um, (laughs) Struggling is a hard word, right? Because we had, 80-odd percent possession throughout the game and uh, limited Forest to very little because we had territorial control for 80% of the game. Um, one thing that became apparent, especially in the second half, uh, was uh, a few issues with Partey at right back. Um, one is just something that he can't really do much about, and that's that he's not a right back and he finds himself in positions where he wants to engage when his role would be to back off and close down a lane for someone to run into um, or just not knowing when to come inside, when to go outside and cover spaces for transition defense. Um, And that is, and that's where we could speak on that. uh, It's uh, even more dramatic considering that over the last few months, there has been a noticeable decline in parties athleticism. Uh, One to cover ground, and something that I noticed quite a lot is just his sort of behavior when engaging and going into a duel has declined massively, wherein he fouls more, he finds himself on the back of players more, and he doesn't engage with the same forcefulness he did beforehand. Um, yeah, and that's just a problem, especially when you're one of our main guys uh, responsible for transition defense. Yeah, Seb. So firstly, I think you're absolutely right. But secondly, you're so predictable. I knew you were going to bring that up immediately. <laughs> but but yeah, it's funny. It's funny that you speak about Partey not being like a right back because I actually prefer him there to to DM or, you know, I know it's all shifting and not, but, you know, bear with me. Um, Just because I think it limits his responsibility in certain ways and also makes the obvious p- passes he already picks out, you know, always trying to find soccer it makes them better options from where he's receiving and passing. Um, but yes, to speak to the athleticism thing, it's it's also interesting. I think 
it's something you can compare with Jorginho as well. When you lack that athleticism a bit more, you become a bit more rash in those moments where you have to step up and you get easier to turn. The difference is that I think this was a a massive strength of Partey's over his career and it's never been a strength of Jorginho's. So yeah, suddenly we're losing one of the big things that he had. Um, but yeah, I still think despite all of this promise, it was a game where things weren't quite clicking. Um, and ultimately, I don't think we really pulled them apart in a, in a tactical sense, maybe as we did so much last season, which was both, you know, tactical and individual quality. I think where we actually won the match was the qualitative superiority of our wingers. Do you guys, where do you guys kind of stand on that? And also, yeah, Martinelli and Saka's performances. I think they were the two best players and either could have been man of the match for me. Yeah, I would, I would agree completely with your assessment of the game. Um, I would have probably given the man of the match. I think Saka got it. I would have given it to Martinelli. Also, yeah, also because of how many, I think it was like six recoveries. Yeah. So one of, I mean, he was one of the reasons why we were able to, uh, our defensive transition was so good, um, which is great to see. But yeah, I, I agree completely with your assessment of the match. One thing about Martinelli that I've noticed is he's so like dogged in getting the ball back from behind his opponent once the ball's lost and coming up from behind and trying to win it back that actually over the match they get more and more rushed once they've got the ball even if he's not close to winning it back because he catches it and it actually is one of those things where you force the opposition to suddenly hurry themselves a bit more obviously with with Forrest they were trying to go pretty rapidly quick direct in any case but I think it's it's another thing where even like maybe psychologically just how intense Martinelli is really unsettles the opposition even when he's not actively winning the ball back or too far to do so. Um, but yeah, let's take a break and then we'll come back and discuss maybe where this kind of leaves us looking forward. I know it's only now two games into the season, but we have a part to do. So yeah, let's take a break and get into that. Cool, cool, cool. We are back. And I think the last thing that I really want to touch on today, and I think it really does connect to everything we have been chatting about, is... What we've really seen now against Forest is not only a structure or system, whatever you want to call it, that is different from last season and quite a lot different from last season. And I think this was expected, but it's also very different from literally the week before versus City. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting thing that we didn't really see last season is this this game to game sort of changing and rotating of individuals. I mean, looking at, at Gabriel being left out of the side for tactical reasons, but actually being replaced by a striker. It's very interesting what what's actually going on and something that I think we're going to see a lot more going forward. And it, it feels, to me, one of my concerns maybe is that it's it's a reset or more of a reset than maybe many expected rather than an evolution of the system from before when we had such a successful season last year. I think... It was necessary, so we've spoken We've spoken about this before, right? Because we needed to add a bit more tactical flexibility and, of course, depth. And depth means rotating good players in. We see it with City. But what what has led to, and, and obviously I'm aware I'm saying this game too, where we are still, you know, getting to grips with the, the players are getting to grips with, with each other. Um, but there is maybe a lack of fluidity in execution, right? less than so than the theoretical flexibility and fluidity that we can achieve um that that we didn't start off last season with we were a lot more cohesive to start last season um so yeah i guess the, i guess the question is how much changes too much changes and how does this really how does this 
color how you guys are looking at the season going forward. And I think I'll go to you first, Seb. Yeah, um, I sort of had a hunch from the transfer window itself that the main aim this season is to bring profiles in that are able to give us more variety in how we play generally. Um, and that bore fruit even in the preseason where we saw different variations, be it uh, Kivio playing slightly differently to Zinchenko when he inverts from left back and so on. Um, I wouldn't call it a reset because con- principally our disposition is the same. We want to have the ball. We're playing a more or less positional play, more than less uh, positional uh, approach, um, just with varying uh, both varying structures and varying player profiles that impact how we do it. Um, and I think that's what we needed. Um, last season was special and was beautiful, but largely unsustainable. I mean, a 50 point first half of the season where we didn't drop any points isn't a sustainable thing to do, especially considering we were overperforming massively during that time, which wore out in the second half. So, both raising quality levels, which I think we have done with Rice and Havertz and Timber, as well as adding more variation is a necessary thing we need to do. And the growing pains we've seen at the start of the season is in that vein, a necessary evil we need to sort of equip ourselves to be more flexible for a longer period of time. Do you guys not feel like maybe we're potentially overdoing it though? I mean, I, I get the understanding and I agree that we need, I was probably... I don't think anyone complained of this part more than myself last season about how we needed to be more flexible, be more adaptable to situations. But have we? my one thing is, have we been forced by adding in these profiles that don't really replace the profiles or back up the profiles we had before? We're now forced into this flexibility where every match we are, Arteta's balancing new dynamics to achieve certain tactical aims and trying to get these gains in the aggregate um, through balancing these dynamics. By that, I mean like, you know, making up for Gabriel's aerial dominance through other means, but then all every time there's this chain reaction of of balance and balance and balance that you have to you have to go. Have we done have we done it too much, uh, Lorcan? I think you had your hand. Yeah, I think um, on that note, we've what we've played just one game in the season, yeah. and I, so. <laughs> but yeah, no, point. it's it's a completely worthwhile point. Obviously, we've been watching a lot of the preseason games, and so the variety in 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 execution, in ideals and tactical setups has been pretty vast. Um, but that being said, even though like we're like, okay, three points by any means necessary, we're still, I think, in the business, at least Arteta is in trying things out, um, which doesn't mean that it's we don't care about the three points because that's absolutely not true. But still seeing, trying things out, seeing what sticks. I know Arteta had a, night, um, a couple of pretty insightful comments about it's not only you know, what he's trying to get the team to understand. But even in the training sessions and on the pitch, it's it's a like a mutual feedback thing where he gets ideas from different pods of players playing together, different um, things that emerge. And yeah, to answer the, the wider question, I think I, I agree, I think with everyone on this podcast that it was better to evolve than to stay put. Um, I think every good team season on season has to evolve. I just think that's that's true. Um, it's one of the strengths, I think, of, of Pep Guardiola. Um, I, th- I also think there's an emergence of some um, kind of subtle tactical trends that we've addressed by bringing in particular profiles, um, like Havertz and Rice are, are really tall players. Um, Havertz can win that first ball, both great in the duel, 
Um, and then lastly, I think we touched on this a tiny bit, but we have that ability to go back to the old system or at least approximate it when Zinchenko comes back. So the idea, I think, is when we realize what does stick and when execution gets better, when connections between players begin to sort of concretize, um, you have that ability to pick and choose what you want. And obviously it's going to be a question of execution as to how janky that looks in the meantime. Um, but I, I do appreciate the intention and the aspiration. And I do think there are two sort of contributing factors to this as well. One is force, and that's just losing Granit Xhaka for one, who is a profile that is just not in the squad anymore. Uh, we don't have an unlock to him, so we need to sort of switch things up that way, as well as just having Zinchenko unavailable, which also massively impacts how we, how we play. Uh, and the other is just... Uh, something I think is a concerted effort on Arteta's part is to put players in positions they're very comfortable in. Whereas last season, when Zinchenko was unavailable, we put Tierney or someone else in that role and sort of approximated like for like, even though the player isn't necessarily qualified to do that. This season, we try to find ways, or at least in preseason and the start of the season, we try to find ways to... Uh, make that up with players in positions that they find themselves comfortable in, even if that means changing the structure somewhat. Absolutely. Um, Manus, where do you kind of stand on all of this and this potentiality at least, or um, changing game to game, these tweaks that we, we has been suggested, at least in preseason, it could really, we could land on something that we start using game after game after game. But yeah, where do you, where do you land on this idea going forward at the moment? It's an interesting uh, discussion to have because we have touched upon it. And I have also said that we could change based on opposition. But how much, like you say, it's it's absolutely the right question to ask. Like how much change per opposition is too much change? Because you need to also let the relationships on the field develop. And if you just like keep swapping Gabriel for Enketia or next game, perhaps you put Timber on the right side and you put White at the centre-back. How much of that then affects chemistry on the field? It's interesting because I think eventually, like let's perhaps let's say after about five games, these guys will find what relationships work best and who can play well, right? Because Adding variability and versatility to the scout squad is one thing, but we need people to go home and when you're coming back to training, like, okay, this is what I'm going to be preparing for, right? So you already have those mental images, you visualize where you'll be playing. It's, it's a tough one and we do also have to evolve because towards the end of last season, I know we say that it's because Saliba got injured and we sort of lost our build-up. But we basically played with the same pod of five and five players. And towards the end of the season, we sort of ran out of ideas of how to create. So we also need to find newer ways of creating chances. And we've added certain different profiles to do that. So it's interesting. I think use it sparingly, but definitely do use it. While your overall structural principles of play shouldn't change. It's... I think Arteta is still going to use the five pod five, mostly going forward. Perfect. Yeah, I, I really liked your your point. Um, bringing up kind of you know a lot of people blame holding, and I think holding playing is a is a massive reason why we fumbled it. But I don't 
leave the blame with holding. I leave it with Arteta for not trying to adapt, not trying to find a solution, basically putting holding in the Saliba role, kind of how he put, put Tierney in the Zinchenko role and just saying, okay, you're going to play this now. You're going to be familiar with this when they don't have the capacities. Um, that's obviously the concern though, because like, like you said, Seb, now we're trying to put players in positions where it, you know, it brings out the best of them. But by doing that, you are trying to constantly balance these and make these these judgments on how to get the most out rather than having these backups, like having a Zinchenko backup. I know that's not easy, right? It's, it's not easy to find a Zinchenko backup. But if we did, it would suddenly be a lot more secure that if in Zinchenko's injured, we don't need to suddenly make these new calculations. But yeah, I think we've spoken a lot about that. And I think this will be a theme that we speak through at least for the first part of the season. So yeah, if you guys had to take one takeaway from the match, um, what would it be, Seb? Uh, I had one before, but we basically just rolled this one to death, and that is that tactical flexibility uh, will be a major part of the season. Uh, so I'm going to stray away from that. And my other thing was <laughs> um, just a growing confidence in Rice as our long-term six. I know it's kind of contrary to say that in a game where he largely played higher up in the field but in those instances where he was deeper you really could see the potential of him uh, just being a far more tempered player in possession finding the right passes and controlling tempo more than Thomas Partey does when he plays there because of his natural tendencies in pass selection Manus? Um, My first takeaway from this game is I think Enketia is absolutely a worthwhile backup to have, right? I don't know why we brought that to death. I don't know why people talk about it so much. I think he's a he's a good enough backup to have as a striker. And second, I think Havertz gonna need more time. More time. More time, I think, yeah. And Lorcan. Yeah. Um I I I also I agree with um the comments that have been said so far. I think the first thing I'd say is we're gonna be very hard to beat this season. Um especially with with Rice in the team. Um, and the second one is actually related to something I remember tweeting like halfway through last season, which is when there were conversations about signing a, a number six and a winger, which we did in the form of Trossard, Rice and actually Jorginho. But um, I was talking about the need to integrate um, an interior who can receive and generate chances between the line because of the comments that we've had about um, and I think the conclusion, maybe that was a bit naive because I think uh, the conclusion I, I now have is that we're going to continue stressing um, the need to achieve kind of dynamic attacking game environments in and around that zone where the, the eights receive. Um, so there is going to be, especially in Zinchenko's absence, I think um, it's going to be difficult and important to get in the inside channels of the pitch. Perfect. Um, if I had to have one, it would just be, I guess it sounds a lot less intelligent now, but after your guys once, but just that Saka is really, really, really fucking good. Um, and with that, shall we move Definitely. forward? Um, to, yeah, to previewing Palace. Let's do this quickly. I think we've had a long pod. Um, but yeah, Lorcan, how does Palace normally play and what can we expect? Yeah, so um, I'm just going to thank and also say sorry because I'm think I'm going to butcher his name, but I'm going to thank um, Domagos, um, Domagos, who you can find on Twitter at D 
Costan. Not gonna try his surname. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe that was a that was a bad idea. Um, <laughs> so just quickly, they won Saturday, um, and they appeared to dominate the game at least from a sort of first glance and and, and also highlights point of view. I didn't watch the game, um, but they appeared to dominate. It was Luton. Uh, so yeah, Sheffield. They have no, another- it wasn't Luton. Sorry, Sheffield, Sheffield yeah. one of the newly promoted <laughs> Sheffield. Thank you for correcting me. Sheffield um, United, but yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they, I think as everyone knows, they have quite a lot of, they have had and ha- still have quite a lot of talent for a mid-table, low to mid-table outfit in the form of Eze, Elise, previously Zaha, who's left, Edward, maybe to a lesser extent, um, and Cheikh Dukure, who I, yeah, I'm a big fan of. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, their counter-attacking side, obviously they replaced Vieira, who did really well in his first season in, I watched them a bit more during that time, where they implemented a really good um, mid-block and were really hard to to, to get around. Um, replaced him back with Hodgson, which is quite funny. Um, but yeah, essentially they're an attacking, counter-attacking side. They really excel at attacking space. Um, last season, um, they had a lot of switches from the deep left half space to high widen right which makes sense because that's Elise who's um, really good at carrying the ball and, and sort of remaining a, a triple threat from there where he can carry pass shoot and, and that's where most of their box entries happened uh, they also had the most 1v1 success in the league last year according to WY Scout and that also makes sense with Zaha and Elise so I was wondering whether again Elise didn't play on Saturday and he's been linked with a transfer to Chelsea and City um, but if he is available for that game um, and is no longer injured, I just wonder, especially if Timber's still out, whether we see Tomiyasu on that side. I don't um, think he will be because I think he's he's out for a couple months. Even oh, is with he? The ha- yeah, he got injured at the under-21 Euros. Okay, well. Um, but they do have that Matthias Franke guy who is yeah. apparently also a new dribble king. So they're, right. they're stacking up. And then Ibiwe. Yeah, now I've botched an in too, but we'll leave it in. <laughs> Boa, <laughs> so but they've got they've got guys to do the damage. Yeah, and it's interesting because they looked very from again from the highlights. So pinch of salt, but they looked really dangerous from wide zones yesterday. But the people in those wide zones, I wouldn't expect to normally give us too much to worry about. It was Jeffrey Schlupp, Schlupp on the left and Jordan Ayew on the right. Um, so yeah, and also maybe good to look out for Edward's box movement because he looked really lively yesterday. Um, and that can be, I've noticed, a particular weakness of ours defending those um, sort of crosses into the box. Perfect. Manas, um, do you have any um, challenges to expect and where the game will be won last based on that? Um, not really. I think Lachlan Pichim pretty much covered it up pretty well. I I think in terms of lineup, I think I'm, I'm getting a few because I want to say this, because they have really very good 1v1 wingers. I think that we might actually go with the same setup, and because it's because we we get transitional support, and uh, we can play the three two instead of we can we can do the box this time instead of the diamond, to just cover the center a little bit more. So Seb, what do you think the lineup is going to be? And I think this is already clear that this is not a simple task as it was last season. Yeah, it's not going to be as as easy as last year. Um, I think a lot of it will depend on Zinchenko. His fitness is still a mystery. I don't think anyone actually knows when he's due back. Um, 
if he is able to train and play, uh, I think we plug him in. Could be wrong. Um, but otherwise, I actually agree with Manus that we could run with a similar team. Uh, push Partey into the center from right back. Uh, just in a more double pivoty way uh, with Rice rather than the diamond we played against Forrest because I think that's just largely down to trying to break down the five uh, they had in the back. Uh, so that would be uh, Ramsdale if Raya is not in by then. <laughs> Could be an interesting thing. Uh, Ramsdale, uh, Partey, White, Saliba, Tomiyasu? I don't think... Um, Timber will magically recover yeah, from we didn't what looked like a very injury bad injury. Unpleasant. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then Rice, Harvards, Udegor, uh, Martinelli, Nketja, and Saka. Okay. I, th- I don't really have a take, I'm not going to lie. So I'm not going to force myself. Does anyone agree, disagree with that lineup? I, I'm... N- Neither disagreeing or agreeing here, but consideration of the fact that they do have um, athletes in there and they're quite good at like stepping out of their mid block, and the fact that it's quite a small pitch, um, I do I don't know I do wonder if we see players um, who excel better in in smaller areas and also warrant um, kind of warrant their inclusion from their performances. So I'm talking kind of like a bit like Trossard, who I thought was great when he came on. Um, so I don't know I might. Maybe Trossard in the space of Eddie. Yeah, I could see that. But yeah, none of us know. And I don't think... I don't even know if Arteta knows yet. But yeah, <laughs> I think he'll decide in the week. But yeah, let's wrap it up. Palace is a Monday night fixture. So expect next week's pod or episode to be on your doorstep Wednesday morning, probably. Um, with the lineup for that episode being Manus and Seb. And they're reunited with towels. So we've got our Community Shield group back together while Lorcan and myself are once again relegated to the bench but hopefully we'll have exciting stuff coming up in there um, in the meantime please do follow all our socials if you like our opinions you don't have to if you don't um, which you can find in the descriptions I'm sure uh, but more importantly do follow Potshot Pod on Twitter Threads Instagram and maybe even that Blue Sky app if we're up there by then and also su- subscribe and leave a nice review on Spotify or wherever it is that you need to subscribe and leave reviews this helps us loads. I think it also helps the algorithms know that we're worth listening to if we are worth listening to. Um, and yeah, lastly, thank you to James Blake for making our music. And you can find him on Spotify at JW Blake. This is the first time I've ever got that part right, so I'm quite shocked with myself. Um, other than that, that's all. See you next week. <laughs>